What's going on, man? According to sources, the podcast. I got my guys running the wing with me, running this three-man weave. It's my guy, uh, Chris Kaysen. Great, great writer, man. And the pieces he's been doing lately for GQ, uh, who slam he's worked, written for everyone, man. You can follow him at C4Dunk on Twitter. And then my boy, Brian Crawford, who was at WJTV. Yeah. Producer. And uh, you can follow him at B underscore craw, number four, and B. Uh, if you go follow him right now, you'll probably see a lot of banter back and forth about Dame and Steph Curry. So we'll get into that a little bit down the line. As always, you can go listen to uh, ATS and all streaming platform <clears throat> right there at the bottom. And uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today definitely is still relevant to some of those podcasts. Uh, I'll just point out C4 in episode six. We touched on a conversation uh, that you had with Lori Marketing, man, before it even came out that he was injured. People was wondering what was going on with him. And you just kind of touched on the fact that he wasn't happy. And uh, that was in episode six. BC, you definitely touched on the perception of the Chicago Bulls in episode five. And uh, before they even hired Garner Chauvin, uh going into that, what needed to change perception-wise for the Chicago Bulls for things to change? It was bigger than just the hire of who would be the next regime coming in. So that's still relevant with what we're going to be talking about today. So let's go ahead and start off. The Bulls relieved head coach Jim Boylan of his duties on yesterday. Michael Reinsdorf and Arturis Karnaschovas both released statements. Michael Reinsdorf, no one could question Jim's passion for our team and our organization. We sincerely appreciate his timeless efforts and contributions during his time with the Bulls. And we wish him and his family the very best. Arturis Karnaschovas, after doing a comprehensive evaluation and giving the process the time it deserved, I ultimately decided that a fresh approach and evolution and leadership was necessary. This was a very difficult decision. I don't know about that, but it is time for our franchise to take the next step as we move in a new direction and era of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Jim Boylan combined record, compiled a record of 39 and 84, which is the second worst record in Chicago Bulls history, only bested by uh, another Iowa State coach. <laughs> and I'm not talking about Fred Hoiberg, who preceded him. So, and that's Tim Floyd. So, First of all, your your thoughts about the timeline for this uh, fire? Uh, I was just wondering why it took so long. You know, like you was, you started to see the doom and gloom pieces out of Chicago. Joe Cali writing that you know he might stick around, um, you know, and everything like that. And I was just trying to figure out like what you know what the holdup was. But you know, I'm I'm glad they made the decision. It was long overdue. Jim Boylan is probably one of the worst coaches I've ever seen. The Bulls have had, like, seriously, like, the Bulls have had three of the worst coaches in the last, what, 25 years in the NBA. So, you know, it's now it's interesting to see who to pick next. But, yeah, Jim Boylan had to go. Man, everybody, all the players had checked out on him. Like, he was done. Yeah, I think the reason it took so long uh, was just because the regular season hadn't ended yet. So you still had – a lot of coaches, you know, still like basically doing, you know, their day to day. So I think once the regular season ended, it basically there's going to be a lot of openings. So, um, I mean, just from all the reports about all the players that went to the new front office, voiced their displeasure, there was no way you could like legitimately evaluate that guy, you know, for this summer or going into next season with players already being unhappy. So it uh, took a little bit long, uh, but I don't really even think there was like an extended evaluation period. Once your players come to you and voice displeasure with this guy and they've been under him for a year and a half, you can't move forward with that. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about that as well. The exit interviews were very glaring when they talked about and it was reported that pretty much the players let it be known. Zach Levine during the season, uh, after the break when the pandemic hit, uh, definitely expressed his opinion on Jim Boylan. And then you had a rookie, a rookie of all people, Daniel Gafford, going on Twitch 
and just pretty much talking about him as a person. Forget a coach. Just as a person, he needs to get better. And that goes back to his Utah days when he was a head coach there where he got into it with people uh, in the media, had problems with players. And then on top of that, you know, we could get a report yesterday that he had a, a back and forth and blew up at the chef. The chef, dude. Are you going at it with the chef? What are you arguing about, man? It's not enough mozzarella on your on your in your sauce or on your pasta. I mean, you got to get those omelets right. <laughs> so, with all of that being said, man, uh, Artur is also and has from day one talked about the process and how he's going to be patient. And he said he's going to go and start searching for the next head coach immediately on yesterday. And that process is going to start immediately. The people that were put up, and I think uh, Woj had a, a nice list of people that are being named as possible replacements. He mentioned Denver assistant Wes Unsell Jr., uh, Brooklyn coach Kenny Atkinson, who got the boot by Kyrie and KD, basically, and uh, Toronto assistant Adrian Griffin, who's had some pretty bad stories come out about him uh, via his wife and domestic abuse. In the last couple of days so i don't know how that impacts uh, the bulls interest in him and uh bucks assistant darvin ham now before you guys go into who you would like to see replace jim boylan and be the next head coach everyone that Woj mentioned in this tweet they have a similar there is a, a silver lining or a connection between all of them yeah they come from systems that deal with space systems that deal with drafting well and development and they run a lot of pick and roll. So I think maybe this gives us a hint of what Arturis Karnaschovitz and Mark Eversley, what they're looking for and the system they want to be in place. And um, is there anyone on this list that interests either of you? Uh, I mean, they all better than Jim Boylan. Oh, <laughs> that's the start right there. But um, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's tough because, you know, you ideally want to bring somebody in with head coaching experience, uh, preferably somebody that's won. But then you also don't want to be in a situation where you, you know, you're giving somebody their first NBA head coaching job. And the Bulls have did that, like, what, three times already? Yeah. Three or four times. It worked out once. Um, so it's tough. I don't know. Like, Darvin Ham was an interesting name. Um I also like Atkinson, you know, even though he did have those issues in uh, in Brooklyn, they won up there. Um, so I don't know, man. I, you know, I like Ame Adoka. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong with anybody, but I, with either of those guys. But I also think it also kind of depends on how the Bulls, because they're not just trying to rebuild that team. They're also trying to change their perception around the league. You know what I'm saying? So they got to make, you know, you already got black people in your front office. Maybe you want a black head coach. You know, they haven't had that since Cartwright. So there's a lot of different ways that they can go. Um, but this is a rebrand. This is not just like a rebuild. This is something bigger than that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, some of the names on there that I found was well, the one that sticks out to me is just uh, what Weston Sale Jr. and just like that Denver connection. I think he's probably – like the leading candidate for you look at what Denver's done just from like a performance standpoint and just like the talent that they have over there, how they've been able to groom and nurture that talent. I mean, that's somebody that's very interesting. Uh, Adrian Griffin, um, like the thing that hurts him is just the tweets by his ex-wife come at a very inopportune time. So, uh, but like BC said, I think not only now are you getting somebody that can, lead these guys but that these guys can believe in and that they'll actually go out and play for because you know this is more than likely they're going to end up like hiring a coach that uh i think you know will be his first time like uh head coaching you know kenny atkinson i really uh, he's interesting but i don't think he's a fit here in chicago um you know i'm just looking at unsailed and griffin as my top two candidate with like uh ma Odoku as like a dark horse. Yeah, I like the thought of Neil Long running around the UC. That ain't gonna hurt. <laughs> Not at all, man. Something interesting, we're going to talk about the NBA bubble, but you talked about that Denver connection with Wes Unsell Jr. 
when you watch the Denver Nuggets in this bubble and you see how good they are with drafting and development, um, you see Jamal Murray, you see Jokic, what he's become, and then you see guys like Michael Porter Jr., who was a health risk, but they took the chance. You also see Bowl Bowl Man, getting in there, Bull. looking decent. Does this give a foreshadowing or give so old Chicago Bulls fans to say, man, you know, can we translate this draft and development style uh, over to us and be successful? Because I think the highest draft pick there is Jamal Murray as number seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, man, I remember screaming at the Bulls to get uh, Michael Porter Jr. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And, like, back issues or whatever, you know, you give him time, the guy, you know, the kid can play. And obviously you're seeing that now in Denver. I mean, they drafted well. The scary thing to me about that particular style is that, yes, they won a lot of games. Yes, they've been an exciting young team. They've drafted well, but they haven't really won anything. And maybe it's just because they're in the West. Like Maybe if you put Denver in the East, you know, they could probably make it to the conference finals or, you know, NBA finals or something like that. So, you know, if you could rebuild that kind of style in the East, maybe it'll work. But, I mean, I get those guys credit. You know, they definitely have put together a team that's been consistently good for a number of years, and that's what the Bulls haven't had since, you know, basically the Tibbs era, and right. he kind of inherited those guys. So, you know, they would be essentially, you know, almost starting over. Obviously, you got Laurie, you got Zach, uh, you got Wendell Carter Jr., but, you know, everybody else is replaceable. You can get rid of those guys, and so you'll be able to see, you know, what they'll do after that. Um, but I mean, I do like the way they evaluate, you know, Connor Silvers and those guys evaluate players. So, you know, it's just it's just exciting to see what it could become. Yeah, I mean, and when you look at two guys off of that Denver roster, you know, Bobo, Michael Porter Jr., both of those guys slipped, you know, in their respective draft yeah. just because of health issues. I don't, Bobo wasn't even supposed to play any of this year, and I think just uh, the extended layoff just because of the season postponement helped him. And now you look at what he was able to do just in some of those scrimmages game. He's a matchup nightmare. He do that 7-2, grab the rebound and take it the length of the floor. Like, you can't do nothing with that. The guy can stretch the floor. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, how do you find minutes for all of those guys? Because the thing with Denver is most of all their outside of, um, you know, Joker, all their like best players play play on the wings. You know, you got Gary Harris, you got Jamal Murray, you got Michael Porter Jr. You know, they have uh, Malik Beasley, I think, still there. They have a lot of like they're gonna have a lot of options in terms of like you know trades that come up come come down the pipe in uh, the future. But like they're just talented as hell. So I just wonder, like, you really can't keep all those guys together, but it just gives you like so many options when it comes time to like make moves. I think one of the moves bowl, that bowl are, is what uh I was gonna say bowl bowl is what we thought Thorn Maker was gonna be. Or gonna be, be. Yeah. yeah. But, but he's way better, you know what I'm saying? That kid can do everything. I think he has a younger brother coming as well. It's another bowl. It's another bowl coming down the pipeline, man. So Yeah. Manute doing doing his thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? From the afterlife, he's still around. So you think about that, and you, you guys talk about Denver and the correlation, and can that system translate over to the Chicago Bulls? How much time do you think it would take to see the Chicago Bulls consistently in the playoffs? Is it going to take two drafts, three drafts, plus a free agent? I say a year. Uh, okay. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because I think just with – the moves, um, you know, the front office rebranding and all of that. I think Chicago is like a sleeper, like next, next year's free agency. I don't know who, but I think, you know, Chicago is putting itself in a place position to at least like getting some very real meat, some very real sit downs with like some of those top guys in that class and not those, you know, you just come here, you get the wine, you get the free steak you see the Jordan statue, like these are actually real sit down. So I think, you know, Chicago could be, you know, back to like playoff, like playoff positioning, like next year, next year at the earliest. Maybe they can get AD to come home. Man. 
Man, we might get into that, man, when we talk about the NBA bubble and uh, what I've been seeing from the Wash James, not LeBron James, but uh, <laughs> I want you guys. <laughs> you, say, you, say, you say you watch, fam? Oh, man, I'm just teasing. I'm standing on my Michael Jordan last dance hill with the flag. <laughs> that's all. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> so um, ESPN First Take had an interesting clip since we're talking about the NBA uh, perception of the Chicago Bulls yesterday. Uh, David Tisdale was a guest on the show, and uh, Stephen A. Smith went on one of his rants. Check it out. I did not want Coach to answer that question because I wanted to answer it for him. Hell no. That is not a job you want. Stay away from the job, okay? Zach Levine can ball. Markkinen can ball. But they don't have a lot of talent. The organization, too many question marks. The last dance with Michael Jordan didn't help the organization's reputation. Garth Foreman and those boys are going, nobody needs to touch that job right now. Sorry. That's a purgatory. That's a cesspool. They need to clean it up. And since I've known David Fisdale for years, I'm going to speak up for him. Hell no. Don't go nowhere near that job. You're better David, off being Stephen an assistant new agent. or getting a job somewhere else than taking the Chicago Bulls job, not to mention the fact nobody wants to be there from November to March because it's too damn cold and you spent years <laughs> in South Beach. You know what I'm Pretty saying. Summer Stay too. the hell away from that job. Very simple. And so that's David Fisdale at the end saying, man, I can't argue with that. After Stephen A. said all of those disparaging remarks or gave all those disparaging remarks about the Chicago Bulls organization in the city through a little jab talking about the weather. So your thoughts, we talked about it would take a year to get the system in place and start to see an improvement. But long term, how much of an uphill battle does this new regime have to overcome the perception of the uh, Chicago Bulls around the NBA? I mean, all they got to do is win. Is it simple? It. All, I mean, it's all it. I mean, it's all it takes. You know, you got guard packs out of there, which is really what I think Stephen A. Smith was speaking to. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the Reinsdorf, that's going to always be a constant. But you know, the guard pack situation kind of, you know, had the Chicago organization as a laughing stock around the league. So, you know, you got a new set of guys in the front office, depending on who the coach is. Like I said, all they got to do is win. And, you know, and and like Chris said, you know, in a year, you gonna get some of those real free agent conversations and those sit downs with those guys that, you know, not just coming in just to get spoiled for a weekend. You know what I'm saying? You have people really seriously thinking about coming to Chicago. And, you know, a lot of that is because of the way they've kind of rebuild that, you know, rebuild that front office. You know, you're going to have agents, you know, talking to their clients and telling them, you know, to give them a strong consideration. So a lot of that plays into, you know, just the decisions that they've made. Like I said, you know, the ownership, that's going to always be a constant. And as long as they are able to stay out of the way, so to speak, you know, I think I think it'd be good for them. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, Stephen A. was just alluding to just for the last two decades plus, there's just been like nothing but bad, bad news and just, you know, just bad relationships in general, um, just with Chicago Bulls and just around the league to just pretty much have built like a bad, you know, perception just with a lot of moves they make. They're notorious for, you know, when guys leave here, you know, they'll kick them you know, in the butt on the way out, you know, that's, I'm surprised that there wasn't, you know, a lot more like Jim Boylan news that came out, you know, afterwards, but, you know, I think right. They really, they really love that guy. So um, I think that part, like BC said, winning helps, but I think that now that you actually have guys with a great rapport around the league, that's like first and foremost, more important than like what Garn Packs have done here in the last like two decades, just as far as like just the perception around the team. So having having a guy that is well respected around the league definitely helps, especially uh, with him being the one making the decisions. Now it's just all about, you know, translating that to the product that you put on the floor. Well, getting big guys like Giannis and free agency or possibly Anthony Davis is one thing. Well, let's go back to something Stephen A. Smith talked about in that clip. 
the talent on this roster. Yeah. Like, where is the talent on this roster? Is it winnable talent if you develop it, or is it talent that immediately just has to be improved upon? Uh, I mean, I think with Zach Levine, you got something. You know, you at least got somebody that people going to come out and see. You got somebody who's going to definitely go for his and try to score and play exciting, and that's what people want to see. You know, Laurie, you know, like Chris said earlier, you know, he was hurt. And it was a lot of, you know, it was a lot of hope and expectation behind him. So I think you kind of give him, you know, at least a season and a half to kind of see if he comes back to the player we thought he was going to be as a rookie. But um, and then, you know, you got Wendell Carter Jr. You know, so I think, like I said, Zach is a good start. I know they've been talking about trading and stuff like that. But I think talent, I mean, it was what, three games out of the bubble? which ain't really bad, you know what I'm saying, Playing, you know, considering. But, uh, I mean, I think you got some with Zach and Laurie. I think any, everything else is interchangeable. You could put some people around those guys and uh, you could probably have something. Yeah, I mean, you have a good, like, kind of young young core there, but it, it's even, like, a little bit hard to grade because you see individual talent, and unfortunately just for this team, like, they've never – like been able to stay healthy enough to play together. We haven't really seen what these guys can do when they're fully healthy and being on the floor at the same time. I think you have, uh, like I said, you got Kobe White there. You got Laura. You got Zach. You have. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, you got good talent there. It's just all about guys. You will forget about him, DC. <laughs> I will forget about him. Yeah, it's just all yeah, about. But I never forget how his brother came with me on Twitter. That was. I wild. still can't believe you got him with his brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think um, it's just all about like grading these guys like when they're on the floor together. And another thing that's going to help is having fun playing basketball. I mean, I really don't think these guys enjoy when you don't like who your boss is kind of makes it a little bit more difficult to go out there and still play with like some semblance of joy. Like how many times man, they have to punch a clock. Yeah. It, how many times they have to punch a clock, man. How many, times, how many times do we see Jim Boylan either call a last, like they're down 15. He calls a timeout with like 30 seconds to go. Yeah. And guys are just looking at what? Like, what the hell? Like that's, that's just not a good work environment. So I think once you actually have, a guy in place that guys like enjoy playing for, I think that helps tremendously. Well, my thoughts on it are, man, look, I personally see the individual talent, but now I look at the Denver system. And I ask myself, is there anybody skilled enough to be a Jokic, a big guy that can come outside, pass, dribble, shoot, and I kind of envision Laurie, but I don't know if he's as skilled a passer as Jokic is. Uh, can Kobe White be Jamal Murray? I don't know. Do they put Zach Levine in that spot and just give him space and let him run pick and roll Laurie and let them be the core of the offense? Uh, but, of course, in order to get to a championship, you know, you have to be able to get one of those top-tier guys like an AD, hopefully, or – Maybe even a Giannis, you know, which is probably a long shot. Maybe you have the connection with Mark Eversley and his Nike connections with Giannis that can possibly get him there. Chicago is a much better city than Milwaukee. I can give you that. But other than that, Giannis going to Toronto. I think Giannis goes to Toronto, and I think the sleeper for Giannis is also Golden State. Uh, I, honestly, I think it's Miami. You think it's Miami? You think Miami? You got Toronto, you got Miami, and I'm going to go Golden State. Those are two early predictions. Way too early predictions. But a young sweet. Way too early. So just to kind of tie this thing up with Chicago Bulls, hopefully the perception can be changed. C4, you talked about a season as far as getting the system in place and seeing the turnaround, wins and losses. And BC, you said just win. As long as you win, the perception of the Chicago Bulls around the league will continue to change. So uh, hopefully for Bulls fans and everybody else, the firing of uh, Jim Boyle is just the beginning of an arc that's headed to or towards an NBA championship. Let's talk some NBA bubble, man, right now. Uh, BC, you were at the beginning. Of course, Kyrie talked about the NBA bubble and how much attention it would take from the importance of 
uh, everything that was going on, Black Lives Matter, uh, surrounding George Floyd, his death, the deaths of Breonna Taylor and other uh, individuals that we can speak of. The list goes on and on over the years. I think it's pretty um, clear that we knew that would happen because people love basketball. We have seen protesting kind of slow down and simmer off. But it started way before the NBA bubble even started. So I don't know if we can put that all on the NBA bubble. But just looking at the NBA bubble, as far as it being able to go on, not having an outbreak within the bubble, and them being very vigilant about guys that step outside of the protocol and making sure that they went to quarantine before they came back to their teams to play. And what we've seen as far as the product, how successful has the NBA bubble been in your opinion? Has it been successful or has it been meh? No, I mean, I think it's been successful because they, you know, they did it right. You know, you got outbreaks in baseball, you got uh, football players basically opting out, you got college, you know, college whole conferences and teams opting out. And, you know, meanwhile, basketball has went on and they ain't really had no incidents. Um, you know, obviously with them changing the protocol, allowing family and stuff like that to come in, you know, that's a little different dynamic. So, you know, hopefully that nothing goes left there, but so far they've done it right. And they've put on, you know, what has more or less been a pretty good product. You know what I'm saying? Like you got teams like Phoenix, you want eight and on the bubble, you know, you got a race for the, a play in for the playoffs. You got, you know, you got the Lakers clinching the number one seed, um, you know, in the West. You know, you got Giannis headbutting people getting suspended. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all types of stuff that went on in the bubble. You know, you got Dame dropping 60s and 50s just to keep his team alive, you know? So it's been like all types of little storylines, man, that's just made, I mean, the bubble to me has been successful. I didn't think I was going to be interested, but it definitely caught my attention and I've been locked in. Yeah, I mean, just to put all that together in the short amount of time that they had and just for the product, for guys to still be in some semblance of shape, other guys are not, you know, nearly as in good a game shape as others. But the fact that the games have been exciting, like the way the Suns have like come on to like the national radar now, I think that's huge. Like certain guys who you don't get to see on like an everyday basis like the Devin Bookers, like even going back to Dame Lillard, you don't get to see these guys like too much on primetime. And the fact that it gave them an opportunity now to basically put themselves like just on that national radar, I think has been huge. But just all the planning and everything and how quickly they were able to put this together, the fact that no nobody has hit, there hasn't been an outbreak or like really a scare at all, like, all the props go to Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, and the NBA uh, PA just for getting this done. I mean, it's a success, and it's basically like a model that I think, you know, until, you know, we can get the coronavirus thing under control, I think this is a model, like, going forward that a lot of other sports leagues are going to have to implement, whether that's regional bubbles or, you know, however the case may be obviously way out of our pay grade, but I think this bubble format is going to be something that we see going forward until this coronavirus thing is like gotten somewhat under control. Yeah. You talked about it. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. No, I mean, I think it just shows that, you know, basketball can go on. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, you know, you could like, like Chris said, you can compartmentalize it and, you know, you control that type of environment. Now, you know, you got teams like football, stuff like that, it gets a little bit more difficult. But, um, I mean, basketball, you can still play. You know what I'm saying? Now, how they choose to do that, I mean, obviously, I know there's people watching the NBA and different sports, and they kind of plan it, how they want to do things. Um, you know, especially the college basketball team, since football is pretty much done until the spring. Um, but, I mean, like I said, they they set up a model that can be followed and i think you know a lot of other leagues at a lot of different levels i mean maybe even down to high school was kind of paying attention to it yeah i even think we even like need to give props to the players like i don't think people really like realize how difficult it is to keep a group of millionaires in one place yeah like for months Mm -hmm. even like a couple of days the fact that these guys are just basically limited to their room, the periphery of the bubble really can't do anything outside of that. You're away from your family. You're away from like all the things you're used to doing in your free time. All that's 
taken away. So I think a lot of props also have to go to the players for like, yes, some incidents in the beginning, but like the fact that you have to really be locked in mm-hmm. like as a collective to do this. I mean, like, can you imagine being in like some place for like three or four months and you're, you're stuck there really with that, right. with that amount of money. Like that's crazy. They got rewarded for it this week. They got the conjugal visits, man. <laughs> The league hooked them up. Hey, it ain't enough conjugal visits, <laughs> especially yeah, in Florida. Boy, they've been there since. Yeah, they've been there. Uh, well, how long they been there? Like six weeks already. Yeah, yeah. So, man, yeah. we talked about further yeah, highlights of the bubble. James Harden won his third consecutive uh, scoring title. Uh, C4, you talked about it. Phoenix was very impressive. They pretty much had to go uh, perfect to have a chance to get in the playoffs, and they did exactly that, going eight uh, zero. Devin Booker. Man, this young man has been coming for years. We talked about it. Uh, I remember people comparing him to Clay Thompson and saying there's no way he would ever be better than Clay Thompson. And we scoffed at that on one of our episodes, according to sources, because uh, we just saw it coming. We thought he would be um, better and grow into the player that we saw in the NBA bubble. Uh, We did question whether or not they should give him the ball and put him at the point. But you can see he's just so versatile, man. He can do a lot of things. He can run that point from, from the two position and give him space and pick and roll. He can ISO. It takes me back to uh, that clip over last summer with Lifetime where I guess he had game point and Joe was double teaming. And Devin Booker's like, man, what you doing? And he's like, yo, I'm trying to win. You know, because Devin Booker, even in that game, in Lifetime was giving pros the business. So just the maturation we saw from that young guy. And uh, we had the streak, playoff streak of the San Antonio Spurs broken. They didn't make the uh, playoffs for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Uh, 20-something years. Yeah. Crazy. 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then probably the top story, in my opinion, of the NBA bubble is this guy right here. Left a little bit on the table. Defensively, they're going to have to make an impact. God damn. (laughs) You hear the the audio. The audio told you what every NBA defender (laughs) feels or says when guarding Dane. That was the Brooklyn against Portland game of the night, man. Joe Harris. As Dame, he's defending him on the wing. And uh, that's all he could say, man. That's all he could say was, damn, dude. Like, I can't believe you hit that. Dude, going going right. Going right. right. Out of bounds for a three. All the the shots he took that game were, like, either contested. They're, like, off, like, quickly. He's pulling up off the dribble. It's like, what do you do? It's like then, I mean, you, you're doubling the guy at half court, and then he takes one dribble of a half court just to let you know, hey, I got it out here too. It's like, what do you do? Yeah, it's crazy. He said he learned from that series where they lost to the uh, Pelicans with AD and Rajon Rondo that year and how the Pelicans totally took him out of the series because they doubled him as soon as he got to half court. And he told his trainer, I have to expand my three-point range. I can't wait to get up to 26, 27 feet. I have to be able to shoot from 30 plus. And we've seen that, man. He's added that. Once he added that to his game, he's virtually unguardable because he can pull anywhere at any time. And the show he put on 154 points in the last three games is just like crazy. In my opinion, he's definitely the MVP bubble. I mean, the bubble MVP. And uh, Devin Booker is probably right behind him. Yeah. But watching Dane. This play-in game, I, I actually look forward to watching him and Ja in this play-in game. You know, I think Ja is going to be hell for that young man. It's going to be hell for him, man. But I think Ja, Ja's he's, gonna gonna down, he's not going to back down. Exactly, C four. He's not going to back down. Dame's going to get his get his points, and I think he's going to dominate the game, especially late in the game. But I think Ja's going to do everything he needs to do. To try and get Memphis. If Ja wins this game somehow, some way, yo, that just further cements that young man for in his rookie season as the guy we think he's going to be. Yeah, no. He's a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely next, but it, it ain't gonna be today. <laughs> Did you like the adapts? Did you like the tie dye adapts that came out yesterday? Man, I told you I don't like them shoes at all, man. <laughs> they they can keep that. No, I like the way the shoe look. I just don't like that shoe. Like, you know, it's I'm I'm not a fan of the adapter. I don't think you need all that tech in the shoe. Plus, I don't think you need 
four hundred dollars for a shoe in, in a pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to charge up every day just to you know just to make it look cool. Um, just because they sell for lace, you can tie your own lace and they light up. Yeah, you can you can use the app and all that. I mean, it's cool, but four hundred? No, nah, man, I'm good. So you rolling with Portland today? Yeah, I'm rolling with Portland because I think you know I think they pissed Dame off, man. Like the whole bubble, you know what I'm saying? Like that boy playing with a chip on his shoulder, and you know they trying to do something. You know they trying to win. Obviously, they end up having to play the Lakers, which is going to be really tough for them. But um, I mean, I think they. You got to be going to these type of playoff situations. You got to be having some momentum and be on a little roll, and they rolling right now. So I don't doubt them. They could, they could. I mean, they could potentially beat anybody. Yeah, I mean, you rolling with Portland today. Yeah, I mean, the experience there. Memphis is still young. I mean, like you said, Dame is playing pissed off. I mean, it all started really. I mean, even though he was having good games before then, it all started with those missed free throws against the Clippers. And yeah. you know, John back with Pat Beverly. After that, you got 51, 61, 42. It's just when guys like that who are that lethal, they're playing pissed off and possessed, there's really nothing you can do about it. And I think Memphis, their youth and inexperience is going to hurt them. But Portland just has way too, too much uh, experience for them. So, man, I think uh, as much as I love John Morant, I have to go with Portland. Uh, like you said, Dame is on a mission. And Jaron uh, Jackson Jr., missing him in a game like this of this magnitude, that's that's just too much for Ja and the rest of the Memphis Grizzlies to overcome. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and ride out with that. But before we switch it's gonna from be, um it's going to be a good big man matchup, too, today. You got to keep out for that. Low key, ain't nobody going to be talking about that. Valanciunas, that's going to be a Valanciunas has definitely, I think, has been a much a much better fit in Memphis for him yeah. than what they were trying yeah. to do in Toronto with the space and pick and roll game. Before we switch from Dame, man, ja, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You said because no, I'm saying because Ja going to pass it. Y'all gonna pass on the ball. Cal Lowry was shooting that thing. <laughs> Fact. DeMar too. <laughs> yeah, his job was the rebound. Yeah. So man, let's get to Dame Lillard, man. How incredible he has been. And uh, we talked about it once again. You can go to SoundCloud, A2S Network, and listen to all of our podcasts that we've had previously. We've talked about this argument before, BC, that you've had over Twitter the last uh, 24 hours with Dame Lillard, and if you put him on that Golden State team, uh, how many titles would he have in the same five years that we saw them have that championship run? Would he have one? Would he have two? A lot of people say, yeah, I'll give him a title, but only the years that KD was there. Uh, there's no way he wins a championship in 2015 if he's on that team. Uh, I love Steph Curry, man. I love that dude. I think he's a top five player, what he's done. Uh, overcoming early injuries in his career to become pretty much the second best player in the world at one point uh, or third best. It's debatable. A lot of people still thought that Kevin Durant was better than him, even when he was beating OKC in the Western Conference Finals with Golden State. But to put him on his pedestal is just being kind of like irreplaceable. Like he can't be replaced. And the ilk of Michael Jordan, I guess, and LeBron James or something like that. I, I just don't see him having that impact on a franchise. Uh, he's definitely, like I said, top three player in the NBA and in the world. But I think if you put Dame on those teams over those five years, I would say Dame would end up with at least, at minimum, two championships. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, I've always said this. I said, you know, if you switched out Dame and Steph, Golden State still does what it does, but I don't know if Portland is able to be as good because it it takes a lot to carry a team. And I think the, the first thing that's going against Steph and in, in making it more difficult for him to duplicate the session in Portland that Dame had, the Steph just can't stay healthy. You know, in order to be able to carry a team, you got to be able to play 75 games a season at minimum. And Dame has done that, and Steph hasn't. And I also think the difference between Steph and Dame is I think Steph is a specialist. I think Dame is a hooper. You know, Dame is going to hit you at all three levels of the game every single night, mid-range, long-range, and at the rim, he gets to the free throw line. 
it's kind of hard to figure him out. And he's going to attack you a lot. You know, Steph, I've seen Steph go nights where he only shot threes. BC, you, you know trying to suburbanize Steph, man? Huh? You trying to suburbanize Steph? You can't call <laughs> Steph a hooper, man? Come on, BC. I don't think, not like, not like Dame. No, Dame is a real live hooper, Jack. Like, for real. Like, Steph <laughs> might be the greatest shooter ever. But no, sir. Like, that's why Dame is so hard to stop. That's why I think he's a better scorer. And that's why I think there's no drop-off between those two guys. I mean, there's no drop-off for Golden State if you switch him out with Dame and stuff. And I've said this, you know, and it's not like – and I get called a hater. It's like I don't I don't dislike Steph. I just think Dame is better. So now he's a better player. He's just flat-out a better player than Steph. Yeah. So Dame is in your top three in the world right now? Top yes, four. Because a lot of these guys, I think AD, just, I think AD of, entered it into that conversation as well. A lot of these conversations are narrative driven anyway. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's why, you know, that's why Steph is basically, you know, there's no, you can't argue with nobody about Steph because of these narratives that's going on. I mean, even Ramona Shelburne said it. She said it out of her mouth. She's like, yo, I'm more of a narrative driven voter when it comes to the MV, you know, MVP. Yeah. So that tells you right there what the nba is i don't get into those narratives man i watch people who you know what i'm saying i watch what they do so it doesn't really but you parrot and stuff that you heard on tv or read on the internet they don't really move me i'm going by what i see and by what i see steph curry is a specialist very good player probably the greatest shooter ever but dame is a straight up hooper and i'm rolling with that every single time c4 come on man let's 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 pull let's pull steph into the city man let's give him a hooper medal <laughs> Go ahead. Tell, tell, I think the the argument. Everybody watching, watch yeah, Steph is a hooper, man. The I mean, I agree with that. Um, that sentiment that Dame is just more like just like your average, like just like he's a hooper, is hooper basically. So he's somebody that you know. It's I think this conversation just comes down to how do you you know like your sandwich? Do you like you know just regular white bread or do you like it toasted a little bit? Um, I just think mm-hmm. that. You know, Dame is not markets like hurt a little bit because say if Dame was doing this in New York, like how big, you know, would his overall like just platform be as far as what we've seen him do on a nightly basis? Like a lot of times Dame is doing this type of stuff. It's like 11 o'clock at night, you know, in the Midwest. Nobody watching. Nobody watching. Exactly my point. So, I mean, now people are starting to see him and it's just like. Oh, this is coming out of nowhere. Like, no, it's it's been here. And the times that Dame has been like on those playoff platforms, teams already know what he can do. So they're doubling them. And you pretty much have another guy like on the wing that kind of does similar things to him. So it kind of makes them easy to take easy to take away some of the things that they like to do. But I think if you put Dame on Golden State, I don't see there being any type of drop off like at all i mean i just think it makes them a little bit more dangerous not taking anything away mm-hmm. from Steph at all because you have to game plan for these guys in a way that you don't have to game plan for any other point guard in the league those two so they're basically to me one one a depending on who however you want to match them up because you pretty much have to pick them up from half court you're not staying in front of them at all dame is a little bit more shiftier than steph but steph is a steph has like some type of elusive uh he's elusive with his dribbling but like i said you know there's really no drop off from any one of them at all but i think you know i think no i was gonna say i think dame is also a stronger player physically you know what i'm saying so he can come at you a lot you know what i'm saying a lot harder and a lot longer and he can make those difficult shots and he can take that contact and that's what makes them more dangerous. Like Chris said, you got a game plan for both of them, not taking nothing from either one of them. But I mean, when you got a guy who is going to really come at you every single night and he's done this without another all-star teammate, you know what I'm saying? Like, and Dan, I mean, Steph has had three of those, you know, without another guy who can basically give him, you know, take some of the pressure off of him. Steph has two of those, you know what I'm saying? Like he's done all of this stuff and had all this success and nobody's just paying, nobody's really been paying attention to it. But if you've been watching them, then you already know. Yeah, that upbringing also does play a part because when you got a guy from Oakland who, Oakland, went, yeah. who just has a proverbial chip on his shoulders from birth, goes to, you know, both of them are like, you know, at these small schools, but 
Dame just has like that underdog mentality where he's been overlooked. The same bloodlines as like a Jason Kidd or Gary Payton. Like you, there's just something about those. Yeah, there's something about those players mm-hmm. that you know. I'm picking them if there's a fight. Like I'm picking those guys any any day of the week. Yeah, man. Before we move on, man, let's talk about the Wash James, man. And what we've been seeing from LeBron James in the bubble, man. I'm throwing it out there just to tease, but I want to ask you guys. It seems to me that Anthony Davis could be in a similar situation that LeBron James was in his last year in Miami, where he has a decision coming up to whether or not he wants to return to Cleveland or he wants to continue on in Miami and get the bigger contract and the bigger guaranteed money. But He's looking at Dwayne Wade and he's looking at the deterioration that he sees. And he has to say to himself, like, man, can I really depend on this guy to be healthy moving forward? Is Anthony Davis looking at LeBron James this year and saying, man, being in L.A., the money, the bigger contract, everything seems sweet playing next to LeBron. But how much longer can LeBron be the LeBron we knew? Or are we seeing LeBron on the down downside of his career? And how fast is he going to go down this hill? How much more is going to be put on my shoulders? Or do I go somewhere where they're younger, they have a star that's upcoming on the rise, and maybe I can just ride that out to a couple more championships, especially if I go east? Or do I go home? And just enjoy playing for my home team and their young talent. Is 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 there a similarity there where Anthony Davis has to make a decision based upon what he sees from LeBron right now and forecasting that over the next two or three years? Or just is it simply, man, I'm staying here in Los Angeles because this is the place for me to be? I mean, I think he only in LA obviously to win the championship. And I don't think his decision come down to LeBron at all. You know what I'm saying? Because he has he got a lot of options. You can stay in L.A. and be the man. You know, you could be the next great big man in L.A. Yeah. You can come home to Chicago and, you know, and be around your friends and your family and be at the crib and, you know, playing for the home team. You know, you can go pretty much anywhere. I don't think LeBron has anything to do with it. You know, LeBron is basically on the back end of his career. You know what I'm saying? How many more years do he got left? I mean, A.D. know that. You know what I'm saying? So it his decision isn't based off of that at all. I mean, I think he's out there to do one thing that's winning the championship. And then if they do that, it doesn't really matter at that point. You know, he could pretty much do whatever he want to do. So I don't think LeBron playing into his fact that he shouldn't. I mean, he shouldn't play a fact into his decision at all. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think, um, like, there really hasn't been, like, a, like a decline in LeBron physically like there was in D-Wade. So, like, I don't think you can look at the way like LeBron is just built way different and takes care of himself a lot different. I'm not saying D Wade didn't, but I said D Wade had like some chronic injuries. He's already hurt. Coming yeah, into exactly. the league. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always say like the the worst thing Miami did in just forming that big three is like the wear and tear D Wade put on his body before that 2000 uh, that 2010 season. I mean, yeah, like three straight years of just like. Guys like that who play that way, if they're playing that way for three, four seasons and they only know how to play one way, regardless of the teammates that's around them, that's a detriment to them, you know, because you have a very short lifespan, you know, when you uh, put guys in that situation. But I think AD, like BC said, you know, you he basically – the ball is in this court, really. I mean, he'll have his options. You can look at LeBron and say, well, you know, I probably got two, two more years of him playing that – a very high level, but I think one thing that would be concerning if I am AD, I don't want to be in another situation like I was in New Orleans. You know, I don't want to be like the guy and there's nobody else around me. I'm looking at some of the Lakers issues that I think are going to be an issue in the playoffs, like point guard play, like really solid, like yeah. play, like that's going to be an issue uh, for them. I think everything as far as like defending the paint, that'll be a strength of theirs, but like some of these point guards are going to light L.A. up. I mean, starting with, you know, Dave. Every point guard lit him up in the bubble. Yeah. Every it, point guard lit him up in the bubble. It's going to be an issue. And, 
you know, you're depending on LeBron to have to play at, you know, 100% once the playoffs start. So, yeah, yeah I think once the um, once the season is over, like, AD will have a decision to make depending on what happens. But I, I see him staying in L.A. Um, I just think everything that's going on there, they pretty much they're going to hand him that franchise, you know, once LeBron uh, decides it's over. But, like, if I'm 80, like, I am worrying about, you know, being in another similar situation uh, that I was in New Orleans. How viable, how how great of an opportunity or how much of an opportunity do the Bulls have when it comes to attracting AD? Like, can they attract him with who they are currently? And if not, what do Mark Eversley and Karna Chauvis have to do to look pretty enough to AD to get him to say, yo, maybe I should go back home? They ain't got to do nothing. His mom and daddy still there. <laughs> simple as that. Yeah, it's as simple as that. And I think, I think he's grown because remember we talked about it, man. Early in his career, uh, it's been you know talked about. Maybe some people don't know, but it's been talked about some of the issues that some of his personal family had early in his career and how he didn't really want to be around that, and he left and stayed away to be able to grow and mature as a person. And I think he's strong enough now, and I think that situation has been stabilized to a certain point to where, it's, yeah, it's more amenable for him to come back home and play. I mean, you know, his his mother, you know, his parents, they was in New Orleans with him, you know what I'm saying? But they was back and forth. Like, they never really left Chicago. Right. You know what I'm saying? So they, it's always going to be roots here. So that's, you know, that's the big thing. No matter where he's at, they're going to be. But at the same time, you know, home is home you know what i'm saying and like this is not like i said you're not come even if you were to consider it you're not coming in on the guard packs anymore you know yeah. what i'm saying you got a brand new regime it's a whole clean new slate and like i said they got you know they got some attractive pieces and i think you know the la situation it's gonna have to it's gonna have to be something that you think about because they haven't really attracted any big name free agents um you know in a while and so and they don't really have anything to trade with you know what i'm saying so again like chris said you would once again be back in a rebuilding situation in you know in new orleans because i mean they basically when whereas you had lonzo and jason hart and cal kuzma now you got you know cal kuzma that's it you know what i'm saying and so they're gonna have to start all over again you know you right. got alex caruso you know what you doing you know what i'm saying so right. it's like it's going to be some decisions to make. Whereas, you know, you can go into certain situations already got pieces and just by adding you that automatically makes them better. So the Lakers, they, you know, they, they basically sitting on pins and needles trying to figure out, you know, what he's going to do. Cause if he leaves, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. If the Lakers get bounced by the trails blazers in the first round. Ooh, that'd be... I, I, yeah. I can't see AD staying. I just can't see it. If if they win the championship, I can't see him staying either. Because like oh, I said, wow. you know you 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 know you you basically you hitching your wagon to LeBron for as long as he's there, and then once right. he leaves and it's over with, you you depending on them to basically build a team around you. And the Lakers really don't have that luster anymore like that. And really and truly, these players around the league they don't care about that no more. It's not yeah. you know it's it's not a market driven thing like that no more. Fallout from the NBA bubble, man. We talked about Phoenix going 8-0. Uh, the Sacramento Kings were also one of those teams that had to go perfect just to make it into the play-in game. Uh, Vladi Dibach, he stepped down from his position in that organization on yesterday. Joe Dumars is going to replace him. And then early this morning, we found out that Alvin Gentry has been dismissed as the head coach at the New Orleans Pelicans. Which one is more surprising? Vladi stepping down. C4, you, you tweeted it out perfectly yesterday. The icing on the cake, and he pretty much signed his own death certificate when he passed on Luca. Yeah. I mean, he had a chance to get Luca, and he passed on Luca. That pretty much was it. Who him. did that? Uh, Vladi No. Oh, Vladi. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it just it surprised me that with the front office that's led by Vladi Divac, Pedro Stoyakovic. Marvin Bagley's very, very good player. Unfortunately, like hasn't been, you know, able to stay on the floor that long just because of health issues. But like 
those two guys, like they passed over Luca, which is crazy. I mean, we look at the construction of the roster, it makes sense because you have De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Hill, you have um, I think uh, Bogdanovich is there also. So you had a plethora of guys, but when you like you knew how special Luca was, you still draft him, and then you find a way, you find a way, or you either make room, or you have players now that you can trade to get something else. But yeah, when they passed on Luca, and now look at what Luca is doing and what Luca is becoming is just, is just crazy. See, I don't, you know what? I don't know if he should have got fired for that because I understand why he did it. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, you got De'Aaron Fox already. You got a point guard. Um, and you definitely don't want that guy playing off the ball. I also get the fact that, you know, Luca is obviously doing crazy things. But, you know, I think Dallas is a better situation for him. I really do. You know, versus what they had in Sacramento because then you got to shift all of that stuff around. I don't think it had anything to do with Marvin Bagley. I think they were staying loyal to De'Aaron Fox. Well, you definitely talked about New Orleans being the right situation for Zion Williamson. Uh, you definitely predict, I think it was episode five where you predicted before the uh, lottery even took place, you said, look, he needs to end up in New Orleans. It's the least amount of pressure. He let me down, oh man. He let me down. Come on, man. Now you about to call him one of the clumps. Is that is that the direction you're going? Man, that boy fat, man. <laughs> Like for real, like you, like you've been off for four months, man. You can whoever whoever is training him is doing him a disservice. Zion do not need to be on no weights, you know what I'm saying? He just need to do like yoga, you know, get limber, more flexible, or what. He couldn't even play in the bubble. This is after not playing for four months. I don't understand that. No, I think I don't even think he's like. I think he just he's he's built that way. I mean, there's just certain guys who's just big body the only thing that we'll see like a uh like a physical transformation where we could say all right i can see all the definition is if that guy goes fully vegan and that's not happening you know from a guy from uh south carolina but i just think he's just built that way i mean and guys like that a four-month layoff is not going to help at all because you yeah. can do all the little workouts and things at home but that guy needs to be you know moving around he can still move around. You got all, you have nothing else to do except train. Yeah. Like there's no way you should have came into the bubble out of shape, right? First and foremost. And whatever injury you had four months ago, you shouldn't have it in the summer. Yeah. You should at least be able to play. Like like he didn't play what it was the first four games or something like that. Or well, no, I think four games. He yeah, didn't play. He had, um, I know he was outside. Of, he left the bubble for like personal reason. He left the bubble. Yeah. Then I think what. Like they basically just kept them on a minutes restriction, I think, just to preserve them because they was like, you know, it's probably no what's the use of like for what to, though? They're not playing for nothing, like preserving for what? Like, you're not playing I mean, for anything, you only in there because your record is he's good. a franchise. I mean, yeah. you're like, so you know, that goes back to David Griffin though, yeah, but that's the franchise, and then the, you know, the, I'm not gonna put like the number one guy out there for. 38, we already know he had the knee issue. I'm not going to put him out there for like 36, 38 minutes and, you know, just to get like an eighth, a chance at the AC and then get bounced. Like that's just too big of like a risk. And Zion wasn't happy. The only way you make, Zion the only way you make that decision is if you know there's something wrong with him already. That's the only way you make that decision. Regardless of whether you plan for anything or not, you make that decision if you know he's not right. And he came into that bubble, he wasn't right. Well, I mean, they've uh, acknowledged that he hasn't been like they, there was like reports that they're pretty much working on. We we uh, rewiring just his mechanics in general. So that's still a work in progress. And I think that's something that's going to continue. But how do you rewire? I mean, this is years of how this guy's played the game. Yep. That's like, man, trying to tell Derek. We had talked to that after his surgery. Like we're trying to rewire how he takes off and lands. It's like, man, this dude, all he knows is how to hoop. Yep. And when he gets on the problem, court, Zion, Zion. when he gets on the no, court, he's not going to be thinking about the way he lands when he's trying to make a move to get to the bucket. Mm -hmm. And we saw that. Zion's problem, Zion's problem is in his knees. And the reason why his knees is hurt is because he's fucking fat. Excuse my language. He's fat. He needs to lose weight. He needs to drop some of that weight. Oh, Straight that's up. agreed. We said that at Duke. 
when he gets to the league, he needs to drop weight. He's bigger. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, he's, he's definitely bigger much bigger than he was the when he got to the league. He's bigger. Yeah. He, he was big. Like, the way he was in high school when we first started seeing him is the way he should be. You know what I'm saying? But he's added, like, at least 50 more pounds, which he don't need to have. Yeah. And if his muscle, you know what I'm saying, if it's a – if it's muscle or muscle mixed with fat, whatever, whatever, the stress is on his knees. That tells you right there he's overweight. Yeah, I think you just need to they need to do things as just as far as like just the load uh, capacity. I mean, you can work on mechanics and it's so tough just saying that. I mean, the weight is an issue, but it's still a 19 year old kid who's still growing, which is scary. I mean, so losing losing weight is difficult when you're. Not even this is not his adult body, which is scary. Like this is a 19, this is a 19-year-old kid, which is scary. So I don't know what he looks like in the next two to three years, but the scary part is he's still growing. Listen, when Jabari Parker was in high school, he had the foot injury. He was like 15. You know what I'm saying? And he was a big 15. Mm -hmm. And you already had a foot injury. And now since then you've had two torn ACL weight makes a big difference like your body type is your body type i understand that but you can manage that to the point to where you're just not putting all that stress on your joints and i don't think whoever his training somebody's feeling that boy like it's something something he's doing is not right and you know even when he's played he's played well he's basically going to be pretty much a center which is fine because he's so athletic but he just can't be that big he yeah. can't be that big and, and 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 sustain a career. He can't. Man, it goes back to something that was uh one of the first moves Karnashovas made with the Bulls, man. And I think people overlook it when it comes to an NBA franchise. And that's how good is your training staff? Mm-hmm. Like how good mm-hmm. is your training staff, man? That goes into uh passing over a guy like Michael Porter Jr. in the draft when you can get him. If you have a training staff that you trust that says, yo, we can get this guy in shape. We can make sure he's good in about a year, a year and a half. You can make those decisions that go a long way. And I start to question the training staff and the ability for them to be able to get the message to him to say, yo, this is what you need to do to be in optimal shape and be at your best when you play. Man, that boy, that boy still eating everything his mama cooking. Man. Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And David Everything Griffin, David, at this point, David Griffin is probably trying to help him against himself. Like, yo, you're not helping yourself, so now I have to make decisions to keep you from harming yourself because of the decisions mm-hmm. that you're making. Yeah, that's going to be like a, a battle, I think, for like the large part of his career. He's still a 19-year-old kid, and when you look at the way He's been able to dominate the competition all his life. It's tough for like him to take direction. Oh, you need to do this to be better at this. He's like, man, have you not seen what I've been doing? All right. And still doing it against grown men. So it's going to be like some give and take because I still think, yeah, like you said, 285 at 6'6 is way too heavy to be playing that. But then again, it's like this is a 19-year-old kid who's – still growing so i i don't know what they're gonna have to do he's growing he's growing out out <laughs> yeah i mean he's growing area <laughs> which is scary so they're gonna have to just it's gonna be something they're gonna have to stay on top of him with throughout his career yeah even when he came first came back and played his first game my first observation is like he's not jumping higher than he was at duke he's he's not nearly as explosive as he was at duke and like you said bc he had had time off to take care of himself. So, you know, is this going to be a long-term thing? Can he adjust his game? I think what's going to help him, even with, because I know with this this current, like, little layoff they have, you weren't able to really be around the facility, the training staff like that. I think having an extended layoff, which he will have, like going into next December, where you can be around the training staff, where you can have a dietitian there, like all of that's going to help. Like the key thing is going to be what he looks like four months from now, as opposed to what he looks like now. All right, man. They should have been living with him from the gate. <laughs> <laughs> According to sources, A2S network, go to SoundCloud, man. All of our podcasts previously recorded are archived right there. We are on 
all streaming platforms. Just type in the podcast according to sources and we'll pop right up. Um, before we go, we always give a last call, man. What you guys, what have you guys been listening to? Uh, you know what? I ain't been listening to too much new, man. I've been listening to like a lot of most deaf lately. Strangely. A lot of most deaf. Most deaf? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you got on deck? It hasn't been really anything new. I've just been listening to like lately a lot of a lot of biggie, um, some Nas. Uh that's been about it. Yeah, it's been mostly like East Coast. Yeah, recently I've been listening to I just been going through the uh Wu Tang catalog. Okay. That's what I've been on. And uh I had this debate with uh, one of our friends, J.R. Bang. I was like, what's the give me the album with the best three songs to start off the album? And I said a sleeper for me was uh ODB's first album. And it was funny because we were talking about this in the text thread. BC, you called him the flavor flay of Wu Tang clan. Oh, the Wu Tang, yeah. Yeah, but like <laughs> you listen to his album and just the intro into the first three songs. I'm like, yo, this is one of the best top one of the best entry three songs to an album top i would give it top 10 but entry three songs to an album i hadn't heard that album in a long time i gotta go back and check it i gotta go yeah. back and listen to that yeah and uh pulling out that 36 chambers you know i was like yo i forgot how cold shame on the nigga was like you just started to play this music and you start like you get outside the hits and the singles, and you're like, "Oh man, I forgot about this joint. Forgot our cold." Yeah. So that's pretty much been my musical journey. Oh, you know what? Check out Flea Lord. Okay. Yeah, like he ain't get like I literally, <laughs> I literally went through his whole catalog probably like a couple weeks ago, man, and I was shocked. Like I didn't skip nothing. I went straight through, didn't skip a thing. Well, yeah, he's uh, he low key like one of my new favorite ones. He under that Griselda umbrella, you know. I still got to keep it <laughs> home team, you know what I'm saying? Griselda for life, right? For life, <laughs> all day. Well, man, as always, man, you can check us out. Go follow us on social media. That's SD2Mikes at C4Dunk at B underscore Crawl4D. We thank you all for joining us. Three dudes who love the game, from the game, talking about the game right here. Podcast according to sources, A2S Network. Until next time, man, peace out. Stay safe.